Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit And in its countenance, a benignity such as never any human wore. It was stone, but it seemed sentient. If ever image of stone thought, it was thinking. It was looking toward the verge of the landscape, yet looking at nothing, nothing but distance and vacancy. It was looking over and beyond everything of the present and far into the past. It was gazing out over the ocean of time, over lines of century waves which, further and further receding, closed nearer and nearer together, and blended at last into one unbroken tide, away toward the horizon of remote antiquity. It was thinking of the wars of departed ages, of the empires it had seen created and destroyed, of the nations whose birth it had witnessed, whose progress it had watched, whose annihilation it had noted, of the joy and sorrow, the life and death, the grandeur and decay, of five thousand slow revolving years. It was the type of an attribute of man, of a faculty, of his heart and brain. It was memory, retrospection wrought into visible, tangible form. All who know what pathos there is in memories of days that are accomplished and faces that have vanished, albeit only a trifling score of years gone by, will have some appreciation of the pathos that dwells in these grave eyes that look so steadfastly back upon the things they knew before history was born, before tradition had being, things that were and forms that moved in a vague era which even poetry and romance scarce know of, and passed one by one away, and left the stony dreamer solitary in the midst of a strange new age and uncomprehended scenes. The Sphinx is grand in its loneliness, it is imposing in its magnitude, it is impressive in the mystery that hangs over its story. And there is that in the overshadowing majesty of this eternal figure of stone, with its accusing memory of the deeds of all ages, which reveals to one something of what he shall feel when he shall stand at last in the awful presence of God. There are some things which, for the credit of America, should be left unsaid, perhaps, but these very things happen sometimes to be the very things which, for the real benefit of Americans, ought to have prominent notice. While we stood looking, a wart, or an excrescence of some kind, appeared on the jaw of the Sphinx. We heard the familiar clink of a hammer, and understood the case at once. One of our well-meaning reptiles—I mean relic-hunters—had crawled up there, and was trying to break a specimen from the face of this, the most majestic creation the hand of man has wrought. But the great image contemplated the dead ages as calmly as ever, unconscious of the small insect that was fretting at its jaw. Egyptian granite that has defied the storms and earthquakes of all time has nothing to fear from the tack-hammers of ignorant excursionists, highwaymen like this specimen. He failed in his enterprise. We sent a sheik to arrest him, if he had the authority, or to warn him, if he had not, 
that by the laws of Egypt the crime he was attempting to commit was punishable with imprisonment or the bastinado. Then he desisted and went away. The Sphinx, a hundred and twenty-five feet long, sixty feet high, and a hundred and two feet around the head, if I remember rightly, carved out of one solid block of stone harder than any iron. The block must have been as large as the Fifth Avenue Hotel before the usual waste, by the necessities of sculpture, of a fourth or a half of the original mass was begun. I only set down these figures and these remarks to suggest the prodigious labor the carving of it so elegantly, so symmetrically, so faultlessly must have cost. This species of stone is so hard that figures cut in it remain sharp and unmarred after exposure to the weather for two or three thousand years. Now did it take a hundred years of patient toil to carve the Sphinx? Seems probable. Something interfered, and we did not visit the Red Sea and walk upon the sands of Arabia. I shall not describe the great mosque of Mehemet Ali, whose entire inner walls are built of polished and glistening alabaster. I shall not tell how the little birds have built their nests in the globes of the great chandeliers that hang in the mosque, and how they fill the whole place with their music, and are not afraid of anybody because their audacity is pardoned, their rights are respected, and nobody is allowed to interfere with them even though the mosque be thus doomed to go unlighted. I certainly shall not tell the hackneyed story of the massacre of the Mamelukes, because I am glad the lawless rascals were massacred, and I do not wish to get up any sympathy in their behalf. I shall not tell how that one solitary Mameluke jumped his horse a hundred feet down from the battlements of the citadel and escaped, because I do not think much of that. I could have done it myself. I shall not tell of Joseph's well which he dug in the solid rock of the Citadel Hill, and which is still as good as new, nor how the same mules he bought to draw up the water, with an endless chain, are still at it yet, and are getting tired of it too. I shall not tell about Joseph's granaries, which he built to store the grain in, what time the Egyptian brokers were selling short, unwitting that there would be no corn in all the land when it should be time for them to deliver. I shall not tell anything about the strange, strange city of Cairo, because it is only a repetition, a good deal intensified and exaggerated, of the oriental cities I have already spoken of. I shall not tell of the great caravan which leaves for Mecca every year, for I did not see it, nor of the fashion the people have of prostrating themselves and so forming a long human pavement to be ridden over by the chief of the expedition on its return, to the end that their salvation may be thus secured, for I did not see that either. I shall not speak of the railway, for it is like any other railway. I shall only say that the fuel they use for the locomotive is composed of mummies three thousand years old, purchased by the ton or by the graveyard for that purpose, and that sometimes one hears the profane engineer call out pettishly, Damn these plebeians! They don't burn worth a cent! Pass out a king!" Stated to me for a fact, I only tell it as I got it. I am willing to believe it. I can believe anything. I shall not tell of the groups of mud-cones stuck like wasps' nests upon a thousand mounds above high watermark the length and breadth of Egypt, villages of the lower classes. I shall not speak of the boundless sweep of level plain, green with luxuriant grain, that gladdens the eye as far as it can pierce through the soft, rich atmosphere of Egypt. I shall not speak of the vision of the pyramid seen at a distance of five and twenty miles, for the picture is too ethereal to be limbed by uninspired pen. 
I shall not tell of the crowds of dusky women who flocked to the cars, when they stopped a moment at a station, to sell us a drink of water, or a ruddy, juicy pomegranate. I shall not tell of the motley multitudes and wild costumes that graced a fair we found in full blast at another barbarous station. I shall not tell how we feasted on fresh dates, and enjoyed the pleasant landscape all through the flying journey, nor how we thundered into Alexandria at last, swarmed out of the cars, rode aboard the ship, left a comrade behind, who was to return to Europe thence home, raised the anchor, and turned our bows homeward finally, and forever from the long voyage. Nor how, as the mellow sun went down upon the oldest land on earth, Jack and Moult assembled in solemn state in the smoking-room, and mourned over the lost comrade the whole night long, and would not be comforted. I shall not speak a word of any of these things, or write a line. They shall be as a sealed book. I do not know what a sealed book is, because I never saw one. But a sealed book is the expression to use in this connection, because it is popular. We were glad to have seen the land which was the mother of civilization, which taught Greece her letters, and through Greece Rome, and through Rome the world, the land which could have humanized and civilized the hapless children of Israel, but allowed them to depart out of her borders little better than savages. We were glad to have seen that land which had an enlightened religion, with future eternal rewards and punishment in it while even Israel's religion contained no promise of a hereafter. We were glad to have seen that land which had glass three thousand years before England had it, and could paint upon it as none of us can paint now. That land which knew, three thousand years ago, well-nigh all of medicine and surgery which science has discovered lately, which had all those curious surgical instruments which science has invented recently which had in high excellence a thousand luxuries and necessities of an advanced civilization which we have gradually contrived and accumulated in modern times, and claimed as things that were new under the sun, that had paper untold centuries before we dreamt of it, and waterfalls before our women thought of them, that had a perfect system of common schools so long before we boasted of our achievements in that direction, that it seems forever and forever ago that so embalmed the dead that flesh was made almost immortal, which we cannot do, that built temples which mock at destroying time and smile grimly upon our lauded little prodigies of architecture, that old land that knew all which we know now, perchance, and more, that walked in the broad highway of civilization in the gray dawn of creation ages and ages before we were born that left the impress of exalted, cultivated mind upon the eternal front of the Sphinx, to confound all scoffers who, when all her other proofs had passed away, might seek to persuade the world that imperial Egypt, in the days of her high renown, had groped in darkness. End of chapter 58 Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.